Hello and welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading. And I'm Kelsey Zeiser. I'm also an editor at Light Reading. And I'm Mike Benjamin, Vice President of Security and the Head of Black Lotus Labs at Lumen. Mike, welcome back to the podcast. Great to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, so, uh, listeners, if you've uh, if this voice sounds familiar, uh, Mike uh, Benjamin was on the podcast back in October of 2020, uh, where we talked about uh, Black Lotus Labs for the first time and what was going on there. And Mike, if you don't mind, what's the kind of two second, man, maybe longer than two seconds? What's the five second version of what Black Lotus Labs is and what it's what it's up to? I don't know. Five seconds. That's a challenge. Okay. 15, so. <laughs> but that's all. I, I, I'm, I'm running a very tight budget here. <laughs> well, uh, the Black Lotus Labs team at Lumen is focused on threat research, threat intelligence, really using the network capabilities and visibility we have in order to track threats. So the communication mechanisms, the entirety of the enumeration of their infrastructure and their victims, uh, and then make a difference with cleaning them up and you know helping knock them off the internet. Yeah, get them out of there. <laughs> um, well, we saw recently, it looks like there's a new um, threat emerged, the reverse rat malware, um, which has a pretty interesting name, I would say. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what that is and, and where it's originating from? And um, is it a real serious threat? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, that'd be great. So the reverse rat uh, article that we released it's focused on two different aspects. One is a new malware family. Like you said, reverse rat is not something that the world had discussed or, or had visibility to in the past. And the second is the campaign in which it was used and you know who it was targeting and, and what they were after. And so from a malware perspective, a reverse rat is a rat. And for any of your uh, listeners that don't know what a rat is, it's a remote access Trojan. And so this is a piece of software that gives you full control of the computer and they all have different modules. Some of them uh, do simple things like just allow command execution. Others have full screen sharing and file XFIL and these kinds of things built in. Um, and the, the intent is it's a foothold into a computer for uh, an attacker to go carry out some secondary action. And so Reverse Rat's unique <clears throat> because it was custom built. And the reality is most of the criminals in the world are going to take the path of least resistance and just download somebody else's software that's already written, uh, in, including, let, let's face it, as I describe what a rat is, kind of sounds like IT management software that a lot of companies use to manage laptops. So you can buy right. or license just normal commercial software that does this same stuff. And so you'll see criminals often use existing software. So it's unique to see an entirely new family of this kind of malware written uh, and then utilized. And so that that's the malware at its highest level. The, the campaign in which it was used uh, was very much focused on India. And so uh, we saw multiple energy companies, specifically, you know, power companies for where the malware had been utilized. And uh, we did see one Indian government entity that was also compromised and, uh, and this was utilized. And so uh, clearly the campaign very much focused on India uh, from a victim perspective. And as I shared in that intro, the Black Lotus Labs team is using that Lumen network data in order to ascertain that network communication. So that's how we're able to identify the victims in this case is we know what they interacted with from that network visibility. 
the um, we we did also see one instance of interaction with uh, an entity within Afghanistan as well. So very regionalized, very focused in that part of the world. And through that network telemetry, we were able to, um, with high confidence, attribute the actor to being resident in Pakistan. And so uh, access from infrastructure that very much led us to believe that that's where the person actually was, not just a proxy server or something like that. And so you had a uh, and that's the impact stand targeting, you know, Indian victims or, or other regional victims. And it looks like it um, encouraged people to download a zip file and then open um, a PDF and kind of come in the back door. Is that right? Or how, how did it kind of target um, these victims so that I can look out for it? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it, it's an age old story. Don't open emails and attachments and click links <laughs> that you're not used to. So we, we've okay. all heard that advice. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so realistically, uh, that there was delivered a link to users that downloaded uh, a zip file. Now the link that was delivered contained a a uh, a PDF, as you said, and within that was an image of um, w one of two different things. One was focused on vaccinations for COVID nineteen. Uh, another one was something specific to the energy sector within India. And, you know, as is typical for an attachment or a file, we, we call them a lure because they really are luring you into opening them. There's a good reason to open them. Um, and, you know, any of us would, would give a second look on something about COVID-19 these days, uh, you know, especially a handful of months ago in that part of the world. And uh, obviously, if you're working in the energy sector, receiving something about your own industry, you're you're going to be interested in it. And so... Um, that was that initial foothold uh, was the the mechanism of getting people to just to open a file. And of course, as is very typical of malware these days, there was multi-stage downloaders that came from there, um, from the zip files, through link files, through HTA execution, to finally into the secondary payloads, which was the actual reverse rat installation. Uh, through that infection chain. And so not atypical of Windows malware delivery where it's not just, I'm going to email you the file, please install this. There tends to be a, a chain of events that occurs uh, in order to get to that final uh, executable. Yeah, that's interesting. It's, um, uh, it, yeah, I'm pretty fascinated with the whole campaign part of it um, because I was I was curious about like, because of how the the rat malware works, what's the what's generally the intent of the person or has that also changed you know depending on the campaign um like I, I like i wonder what exactly they're after or do they even know what they're after they're just like you know hey somebody left the door unlocked i'll go see what's inside <laughs> well it, in this case it's pretty indicative that they knew what they were going after given the targeting right so mm -hmm. we had this custom malware, not custom to maybe this exact victim, um, but, but new malware being written. So they weren't a commodity group just kind of going after any computer on earth. Uh, and then very focused to a certain industry and a certain geography. That didn't, that was not happenstance, right? So that, that was right. clearly a motivated actor who was after a, a certain item. Now, what from a technology perspective are they after? I'll speak generically when people install remote access Trojans in a scenario like this. Um, one of the first things they tend to do is gain secondary footholds in persistence. So that first computer may be just in a door to open their access to 
the authentication systems or domain controllers that uh, run okay. the rest of the company right. that allows them to install a web shell on a web server, install a couple other backdoors throughout the companies or the organization so that they can get back in later. So that, that tends to be an early step in some of these campaigns. Um, and then um, they'll move from there. And some of this, depending on the actor group, could be pure observation. They, they wanted to know how the power plant worked. So they wanted to know something about who worked there, um, wanted to know how to competitively build one, right? And so there's there are some things that, from an attacker perspective, uh, our motivations, which are pure observation-based. And then, of course, there's the the item that we all read in the newspaper, which is, you know, people could attack power grids and that. There's always a fear that they're actually yeah. after something more nefarious and disruption at some future date uh, for some tactical need. And so, you know, the motivations of an actor installing a rat differ. Uh, we even see uh, rats used from time to time in commodity ransomware. Uh, here in the U.S., where you know they they use that as a foothold into the company, while they figure out the most effective way to deploy ransomware throughout the organization in order to maximize the profit they can make, and you know while they exfiltrate data and all kinds of other things that you read about, uh, that you know that tool has been used or that type of tool, not the specific tool, right? And uh, those campaigns. So it's not necessarily, and in, in some cases, the it's not necessarily them going after anything specific. They could just be doing some reconnaissance work and waiting around to uh, deploy another threat or another, uh, you know, uh, cybersecurity sort of uh, action to benefit from something else. Agreed. When we look at more advanced actor groups, um, there is definitely the, the sort of very focused mission operations kind of group that says, I am after this very specific thing. I'm after a very specific objective. Um, but there are other groups that are there for access, that are there just to sort of pave the road for a later campaign. And so they do sometimes simply install, wait and see, and then wait for a, a right. need of that particular backdoor, that particular access, or even just a username and password. And so they definitely may be motivated by different, um, different goals, because the goal of one team might be just get the foothold, uh, as you said. I also think it's um it, it's interesting that they used uh some reference to the vaccine as a way to get in. It, I think that was something in the Verizon um, DVIR report recently, as well as that a lot of phishing attacks are um they're using language around the pandemic and and vaccines uh, to get people to open them. Um, also wanted to ask you um so what's next? Like how do you um address an attack like this and um, prevent similar ones in the future or just help organizations become a little bit more aware of, of how to look for rats, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> how do we catch a rat, Mike? <laughs> She's going to say it you in know. the Humphrey Bogart thing when we, when we re-record the podcast. She'll, she'll do, she'll be like, tell me about the rats. <laughs> Sometimes the jokes with fishing and rats sometimes are easy. I'll, I'll tell you. I know so, it's like it's like the whole security industry is a bunch of dad joke guys. <laughs> I love it. And then you found the reason I work here. See, there, there you go. go. <laughs> so w what we try to do with this information first and foremost is tell the victim, right? That that's our first item on on the table. So. Before we even release this information publicly, we were trying to reach out, interact, and tell the folks that we saw or believed had been compromised. And we want to give them an opportunity to, to remediate the problem, clean it up, do whatever it is that's appropriate within their environment. Um, and, and there's a reason we'll never 
overtly say anything about the victim here is the the victims aren't the interesting part, right? They, they do help us understand targeting. They do help us sometimes even go hunt the actors. But really what the rest of the world needs to know, and that's the second action, is be aware of the threat. Be aware of this new malware family. Be aware of how it works. Be aware of this actor's motivations. And it'll help hopefully future people that may be targeted uh, to prevent, you know, initial stage infection, secondary infection, or, you know, the ultimate execution of the campaign, whatever it may be, is we want them to to be aware of it. Uh, and, you know, hopefully have other security companies add, you know, unique visibility they may have onto this new threat or this new malware family. And so if we can inform more people out in the world, they're going to be able to clean that up. And then, you know, obviously our motivation, of course, is to protect our customers and ourselves from, from threats. And so taking all of this information from this campaign and others and, you know, loading it into our reputation systems and using it as a core part of our business for, for our own customers uh, who may buy security or may just buy internet access from us, uh, being able to have that level of visibility is, is obviously helpful as well. Yeah, that's a great, um, it, yeah, being able to provide not just the the connectivity, but this, the, the security. And then of course, repu- you know, your reputation is that it's implied that when you buy connectivity from certain organizations, it's more secure than it is from others. And I think we kind of get a, a little um, glimpse into how that works. Um, I have a question about timing. How does it, how long does it take between, uh, you know, in this case, um, between the time that, that the new malware family was discovered and that, and there was some sort of remediation, uh, you know, in place to kind of prevent uh, more infections and that sort of thing. Hold on a second. My cat is meowing in the background. <laughs> no worries. She she decides this is the time of day she wakes up every day. So apologies. Yeah, no, she's got it. She's on her own schedule. We, uh, I have a couple of cats, and yeah, they're 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 very particular about <laughs> about when I'm allowed to talk and when I'm not. <laughs> Everybody at work knows my my cat by you know a year and a half later, so um, the answer varies pretty heavily, right? The initial investigation on our end uh, until we had entered the information about the backend infrastructure that the actor was utilizing uh, into our security specific systems was very quick, right? So the minute an analyst says, "Hey, this this isn't right. This is coming from that host. That host is not something people should be talking to." Uh, it's almost immediate, right? That that analyst can enter that information in the reputation system and automation downstream, um, you know, will protect our security customers and ourselves. The ability for us to have the confidence, though, to black hole it for the entirety of the internet, uh, back to your statement of, you know, our internet network truly taking care of that that host, that yeah. does take some more time. And, and you know, we, we take it very seriously that we're about to knock a computer off of our network. That's not something we take lightly. And so uh, the bar for that analyst to have extreme confidence in both that it is the very threat they just said, as well as uh, that there's no collateral damage to knocking it offline uh, is something that they, you know, event by event, but it will take a little longer uh, of their analytical time. And then, um, you know, as we then publish it externally, we want to provide as much context as possible, you know, in a blog or an article like this. And so that does take a little more time. We will spend some more information uh, understanding the entirety of the story before we then go tell it publicly. And so, um, you know, various stages within that chain. But, you know, the analyst can almost immediately say this isn't right through let's take it off our network through let's tell the rest of the world about it. 
Yeah, it seems like a, a these type of threads and like with um, fishing and lures and you know those other dad jokes <laughs> that we <laughs> <laughs> Do they have any related to bowling? I'm just curious. <laughs> Gutter balls. That'll be the next uh, one. Sure. <laughs> Uh, it, it, it seems like, you know, these bad actors, so to speak, are, are pretty reliant on um, that human factor of someone just um, panicking and opening something they shouldn't or like, oh, that looks interesting. And um, so how do you, uh, I guess, kind of coach um, businesses on training their employees not to do that or if they happen to, to not be embarrassed to report, hey, I think I, I let somebody in the the door than I shouldn't have. Um, so yeah. How do you advise your, your customers on, um, preventing some of these things? It's a great question. And and you have the right observation. Um, although I, I think I would describe it more that they're going to go after whatever the Avenue is that works. And so you're right. People work. It's a popular methodology. Um, there are definitely companies, companies out there or situations where people don't work. And so there are definitely other avenues and other ways attackers um, are forced to, or maybe even like better because they are less obvious and people are paying less attention to email. Um, but, but you're absolutely right. That's a very, very prevalent attack vector. So, you know, the first item is to make it easy for the user and put an email filtering service in front of it that takes care of a lot of the stuff, right? And especially as we get into crimeware uh, and more broad items, those things mm-hmm. tend to be pretty consistent. They tend to hit very many companies in the exact same way. And so those sort of email filtering services are a really good first filter. The, the second, though, is the user training and the, the user um, getting them out of their day-to-day, uh, you know, clicking and opening a lot of companies now will place a little banner at the top of the email that says, hey, this came from outside your company. And so just that extra little red text or whatever you know the organization prefers, it just triggers your brain to maybe not immediately double click, not immediately click the link. It just causes that little bit of disruption that makes you second guess it a little bit. And that's an extremely simple but effective way to just make people think that extra step. But at the end of the day, um, people will still be convinced. There are reasons that people work with companies outside on a day-to-day basis. And maybe outside email is that person's norm, uh, as well as they may be targeted by an email. It may not be a commodity one that gets caught by, by one of those filtering services. And so that then turns into your more traditional uh, security mitigation endpoint software, logging, response, your incident response process, all of those kinds of things that are really security best practices um, but you know, of course the best answer is close the front door so that you don't have to deal with those kinds of things. So if you can not deliver the email at all, obviously that's going to be the most simple thing for that user. Right. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. You know, cut it off at the, <laughs> the get go. I've definitely had some cases where I had to stop and think, does this person normally like sound like this when they email me <laughs> or, um, you know, why are they attaching this? And, um, but I think we've all been there where we're like, oops, <laughs> I need to let IT know that yeah. I should not have opened that. Yeah, there's a, there's there's quite, uh, we, we get a, a pretty high volume of attachments as reporters, but there's a certain, um, there's a certain cadence and look of certain emails, you know, especially ones around shipping services and stuff like that, that we get that you just know immediately that, you know, that they're just throwing something out there and hoping that somebody's too busy to be 
paying attention. Um, uh, how do uh, uh, let, let, we'll go ahead and wrap up uh, r- running a little bit out of time, but um, how do people uh, Mike find out more about um, this uh, uh, this most recent discovery, the new variant or the new malware family uh, and, and, you know, and, and what you guys have, have uh, done about it? Yeah, so the Twitter account for Black Lotus Labs is always a, a great account to follow. We mm-hmm. will definitely share our blogs there as well as other indicators that may not rise to uh, a blog worthy, uh, as well as taking a look at blog.lumen.com and okay. anything. Uh, it's quite a bit of security information there in general, and then specifically looking for the Black Lotus Labs author will get you to this uh, article as well as previous ones we've published. Sounds great. And you can also, of course, Google Black Lotus Labs uh, or uh, Kelsey can send you a PDF uh, via email. And if you just yes. click on that, then it'll have all the information. In it. Totally. It's, it's really not nice to make jokes about stuff like that, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. Um, all right. Well, uh, uh, Mike Benjamin, thanks so much for uh, for being on the podcast. It was a, a, a we really do appreciate your time and insights, especially as it concerns these uh, uh, these looming threats out there in cyberspace. Thanks for having me.